Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening. This is Norman of Rumble in the Garden, bringing you the Rumble in the Garden podcast. I'm your host, and we will have Chris Daubertine from Blogging the Bracket here as a guest to talk about the Advocare Invitational Tournament, which St. John's embarks on in Orlando this Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. West Virginia is the marquee team in that tournament, and we'll talk about who the other squads are as well. St. John's is now 4-0 after a win over the Division II Malloy Lions. Yes, a Division II team. St. John's struggled a little bit in the first half, trying to establish in the paint and also trying to uh, uh, maybe showboat a little bit, but they turned it on the second half with some intense defense and blew out the Malloy Lions like they're supposed to. You can find us at Rumble in the Garden at Gmail. You can find us at Rumble in the Garden on Facebook. And you can find us on Twitter, Rumble SBN. And without further ado, let's get to talking with Chris Daubertine of Blocking the Bracket about the Advocare Invitational Tournament. And we'll have listener questions afterwards. And if you're listening at work and trying to be surreptitious, you probably need both speakers, both headphones, so you can hear both sides of the conversation. This is, again, Norman Rose, Rumble in the Garden, and this is the Rumble in the Garden podcast. Thank you for listening, and today we have Chris Daubertine talking to us about the Advocare Invitational Tournament. Uh, Chris is uh, the, the man behind blogging the bracket, has probably more information on more obscure tournaments than you can imagine, and we are so happy to have him here pretty much at the last minute. So thank you, Chris, for coming through. You're very, very welcome to have me. So, um, St. John's starts in the Advocare tournament this Thanksgiving, one of the many bracketed tournaments that are uh, going on this week, next week, and then, um, uh, I, I, how, how, what's the breadth, like, um, like time-wise, how long do these tournaments usually go? They what's usually, the tournament period, I mean, I guess? They usually start right on opening night. And because there's a rule, you have to play every game that's tied to the tournament within a two-week span. So, you know, it's basically from opening night all the way through Thanksgiving weekend. And then you have another couple. You have the Diamond Head Class and you have the Las Vegas Classic, which are over Christmas week. But that's it. Um, and then the Gotham Classic, too, which is around Robin, and that's also in December. But pretty much everything's taken care of by the time Thanksgiving weekend wraps up. All right. So in terms of tournaments, how would you rank the Advocare field? The Advocare field does not rank all that highly. I actually did rankings on this on my site, um, and I put it in the uh, in, in the different previews. So let me pull that up really quick so I can kind of give you a, a nice number here. There are 14, 18 bracketed tournaments this year, and the Advocare is 10th out of 14. And then when it's you not take the worst. All, and when you take all the brackets together, um, 14 brackets and 18 brackets, there are 38 of those, and the Advocare ranks 19th, so it's right in the middle of all the bracketed tournaments, pretty much. So basically, it's not the Great Alaska Shootout, so yes! No, it's not. <laughs> it's also not the Battle for Atlantis' sub-regional, which has four teams that are in Ken Palm's bottom 50 over the past four years. Man, that's a rough one. Yeah. <laughs> um. So... Okay, so the, the field, and let's see if I can do this from memory. The field is West Virginia, St. John's, Missouri, uh, Central Florida, or UCF, however you want to call them, uh, Nebraska, Oregon State, 
Marist, and Long Beach State, right? That That's all of them. You got them all. So, uh, of all those teams, or <clears throat> knowing that St. John starts off with Oregon State and the second team that they would play would be the winner or loser of Long Beach State and Missouri, what is the worst path that St. John's could have in this tournament? I think the worst path for them is going to be, you know, playing – Long Beach State on day two, because Long Beach State, they run themselves through a gauntlet every non-conference. You know, this tournament's part of that. They're losing to West Virginia right now in Morgantown. You're allowed a fourth game in these tournaments, which you have to kind of schedule, you know, on campus. St. John's game against Nebraska was the first time ever that a conference challenge game is actually the fourth game for a bracketed tournament. So the little interesting factor, Long Beach State's playing their fourth game right now against Nebraska or against West Virginia is getting torched. Um, so course. that would be that would be the loss that if you lose to Oregon State, that would be who the Red Storm would face. And then Marist, Marist would be the absolute worst because Marist is again another team that's kind of in that 300 or worse category in Ken Palm over the past you know four years. Not the type of team you really want to be playing um, if nope. you have tournament hopes. That team is uh, that's the kind of team that makes your, uh, that kind of brings down the, your strength of schedule. It's the kind of team that makes you think you should have played a Division two team, which doesn't affect you. Yes, like St. John's did tonight. Like they did. Hey, they won against Malloy, so. Yes, they did, and I was impressed. I actually tweeted out there was a, a, a Simpsons character named Malloy um, way back in the early days of the series. It was a one-time character, and I tweeted, I can't believe this one guy was beating St. John's, you know, at the under-16 timeout. But... <laughs> But the Red Storm able to pull it together. Yeah, they, Marist, by the way, huh? right now Marist is three fourteen in Ken Palm, so you really don't want to play that. You really don't want that on your schedule. It's bad for the RPI. It's bad for the Ken Palm. And uh, really, so what's the best path for St. John's? The best path is obviously going to be Missouri. And the thing with Missouri is we don't know if Michael Porter Jr. is going to play or not. Um, and honestly, I think either way, I think St. John's really has a shot in that game either way. Because, again, it's going to be basically his first game um, if he ends up playing. So that's, you know, that's that's your one side. And then the other side, obviously, it's going to be West Virginia. But I think UCF is a very interesting wild card. Um, even though this event is in Florida, Florida teams don't play in it all that often. Last year, Florida and Miamiville played in it. Florida State played in it a few years ago and actually won it. Um, UCF played in it way back in 2007. And that's pretty much it. That's the only time that Florida teams have ever played. I was at the 2007 tournament 10 years ago. UCF didn't bring a lot of fans, but at that time that program was terrible. Now there's expectations they're going to be a bubble team. They're going to probably have a lot more fans there this year than they did 10 seasons ago. So that would be another very interesting challenge, potentially, say, if St. John's you know loses in the semifinal on Friday and gets them in the third place game. That wouldn't be too bad. But West Virginia is the team you really want to meet here. So, you know, West Virginia would be the team that would be the greatest challenge. I think they would be, uh, you know, defensively, they are well-versed in their fearsome press Virginia thing. And, uh, you know, Bob Huggins, you know, there's a whole old Big East thing. I think there are a lot of good storylines there. Um, Central Florida, though, is sort of, at least to me, not the worst of all worlds, but the most questionable and one of the more questionable ways you can go because you have this team that you don't know is going to make the tournament. They play in this this conference that, you know, that American conference. I mean, I mean, you know, 
Uh, I, I'm, I'm really surprised they haven't gone with Make American Great Again. No, I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't <laughs> no, have no, gone no, there. No, no. no, I should leave that alone. Um, <laughs> it just popped into my head. No, but, you know, that's the kind of game that you play that won't look great because it'll technically be neutral, or I don't know if... Um, if for selection purposes, if they re- reconfigure that as like a semi-home, like Ken Palm would do. Yeah. Do they? Yeah, that's, they don't. Because they don't. The, the selection committee has specific rules as to what they consider being semi-home and what they consider being home neutral in a way. If it's part of a, a team season ticket package, no matter where it is, it's going to be considered a home game. And that's not the case here. So they won't consider it a home game. Hopefully they will look at it a little more like I do, where I'm a little more judicious in terms of, you know, site selection, just like Ken Palm is in classifying games as home, semi-home, neutral, semi-away, or whatever. Um, but it, but UCF could, 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 could really travel massive in that game. You know, there is hope around the program. They've got, uh, you know, a coach with a little bit of a name, and it seems like UCF has, you know, they have a couple of years of decent success. And I think that that's, it's weird to get into a road game that's not a road game that you're not going to get credit for, you know? Yeah, yeah, and they also have Taco Fall, who's, you know, a player that not really many teams and certainly nobody in this field is really going to be able to compete with, especially now that he's back on the court. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the advocate overall, though, I mean, what's your what's your impression? I mean, like, like would you wake up on Christmas on, on Thanksgiving morning and say, man, I've got to watch this, this, uh, this, uh, this tournament. Well, compared to kind of what else is going on out there, it would be a, a second choice to me because the battle for Atlanta semifinals are also set for Thanksgiving early yeah, afternoon. You, you can't mess and with that's, that. you know, you know, Villanova and Arizona and Purdue are probably going to be involved in that. So that's, that's going to be a priority one. This is, you know, not too bad of a fallback, especially because like I said, there are a lot of teams in this tournament that are that seem to be on the verge of something. I think St. John's is on the verge of being, you know, a strong contender in the Big East. I think Missouri definitely has a shot to to be on the bubble at worst. Um, UCF, as I said, is going to be in the same position. Nebraska, I mean, you saw Nebraska not too long ago. I don't think too much of them. And then, of course, West Virginia is a fantastic team, and and Oregon State's kind of in that mystery category as well. So, so there's a little bit of drama here, I think. But but I would say probably, and then when you get into the Phil Knight Invitational tipping off later in the afternoon, I think it takes a distant, you know, kind of third place position among the, the Thanksgiving Day tournaments. I hear you. I mean, I think, you know, when I, I look at Oregon State, uh, you know, I, I went into the year thinking that I thought that they would be at least an interesting matchup. But judging by their numbers, yeah, something smells a little funny, you know? struggling with Long Beach State, losing to Wyoming, kind of yeah. hard. Uh, even Southern Utah kind of gave them a game. Hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, this was a team that was dreadful last year, one of the worst power conference teams. 5-25, you know, I believe it was. Yeah, they get Trey Tinkle back um, from injury. But, again, you don't have, you know, Gary Payton the second in there, you know, really kind of leading, the, you know, running the show like he did you know, during their one tournament year in 2016, you know, and that's, you know, a big hole they still haven't really made up for. So to me, they're, again, they're kind of on that question mark list, but not quite on the level of a Missouri or a St. John's. How would you compare to, so I always think of the Charleston Classic as the quintessential 
not ready for prime time squad, like teams <laughs> that are a year away from being a year away. How would you compare this uh, this this list of teams, this this bracket to that uh, tournament? I don't even know who uh, played this year, actually. So I, I think it's better than the than the. I would say it's better than the Charleston Classic, barely. I think just because I think the the top the top two are pretty equal, but I think the, the wow, this is really tough. Come to think of it, because you know you think about the Charleston Classic and it's like watching that and it's like okay, I think really Temple out of that group is probably the only surefire NCAA team that I saw this weekend there, uh, and I can make a case probably for for four teams out of this group at this point. So. Yeah, I think that it's it's a little bit better than the Charleston Classic. Now, looking at next year's Charleston field, that's a different story. But you don't have the Phil Knight Invitational taking off, you know, 12 really top-tier teams. And DePaul. Out of, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and DePaul. <laughs> out of everybody's, you know, out of the pool. So the trickle-down effect, and you had a couple new tournaments in the Cayman Islands and Jamaica as well, that really kind of hit the the industry as it is now hard and and these fields especially the ones that aren't maui and aren't atlantis really took a bit of a hit with all that added competition this year and i think next year will be a little bit better but but this year i think this is a slightly better field than charleston but but not too much the bottom the bottom teams aren't that great to be honest in both good responses and my last question i guess will be what have you thought about St. John's so far? Or have you had a chance to watch them? I have been quite impressed so far. I like what I've seen. Like I said, I think that Nebraska game, you know, wasn't the greatest test in the world because Nebraska, I think, you know. Rolled you know, over? Tim Miles. Yeah, you know, Tim Miles is probably in his last, you know, few weeks coaching there, I think. But I have been very impressed with what I've seen. I mean, I think that. One thing in particular I think that we want to keep an eye on if they do end up playing West Virginia, say, down the road on Sunday, is that St. John's is, is pretty good from three, and that's something that West Virginia has struggled with so far. And, and I think that that would be one thing where they could really kind of give the Mountaineers a bit of trouble on Sunday if they get if they get that far. And, Certainly, uh, yeah, yeah. And maybe, and maybe pull a bit of a surprise. I, I think this is a team that is going to be – you know, in the NCAA tournament picture, when all is said and done, I think that that Chris Mullen is building something there. It might not be this year. This year might be an NIT year, but I think that that next year there might be, at the latest, a good shot at an NCAA bid. All right. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, can you tell the people where to find your work? You can find me at bloggingthebracket.com and on Twitter at Chris Daubertine, um, though I'm kind of in a weird spot with Twitter right now. So I'm it's not hard. Do you feel, I, I mean, to. like when you, when you say a weird spot, do you have that sort of like uh, overwhelmed by information kind of thing where Twitter just start, stops being as useful as it used to be? Yes, very much so. It's not, uh, I put it this way, I'm not having the fun on Twitter that I had even a year ago or two years ago. I hear you. You know, for a lot of different reasons, I think Twitter is sort yeah. of uh, somewhere between a uh, weird cesspool and, uh, you know, sort of a place for people to work out their, their, uh, their, 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 their keyboard fight club urges. Yes. And, um, yeah, sometimes it's, uh, and it's also just sort of like a, just very industry. You feel like, uh, you know, there are a lot of journalists on there talking to a lot of other journalists or people who are, 
you know, pundits or, you know, wannabe philosophers or something. And it's just sort of a, a, a strange, you know, you get away from the, the, the pure enjoyment of the game sometimes, I feel like. Yeah, it's it's not as, it doesn't have the great sports bar conversational feel that it did. You know, I just, yesterday actually was my ninth anniversary of my first tweet. And I actually just thought, this is just not the same, you know, almost a decade later. It's just not as much fun. It just doesn't have that same, you know, sports bar, you know, great, you know, watching the game. Everybody's having a little bit of a party and talking about what's going on. It just feels so much more serious now. Yeah, for sure. We'll end on that serious note. (laughs) I feel like Eeyore. (laughs) And with that, I want to thank Chris once more for coming on to the Rumble in the Garden podcast. Um, Everybody go out there, follow his stuff. Maybe not on Twitter. Just read blogging the the bracket where there's a lot of stuff. And if you actually want to go back through the archives, there's a lot of good things about uh, tournaments and some impressions of teams and uh, even, you know, a sense of like which teams seem like they're, you know, really stepping up. Uh, Chris does really good work. Please uh, give him a follow and read his stuff, especially as we get deeper into the year. Thanks for having me, Norman. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, you're still listening to the Rumble in the Garden podcast. Next up, we've got listener questions. If you have listener questions, please reach out to us at rumbleinthegarden at gmail.com or RumbleSBN on Twitter or on Facebook, Rumble in the Garden. We'd love to see you. We'd love to have you. And we love that you are listening to us and reaching out to us and uh, giving us your questions and starting our, our discussion in our communities. But let's get to the questions that we do have. Our first question from Mullins Maniacs. You guys are doing good work over there. How amazing are the guys in wigs? We think they're amazing. We think that uh, the burgeoning fan support is coming along. I know it's something that people have uh, wondered about and questioned, but you know, after two years of losing seasons, it takes a little bit to get that fan base going. So the early people, the early diehards, I think they're going to do. They're doing a great job of creating a culture around cheering for the team. And I think that that it's that it's going to be. Um, I think it's it's going to come along, and people just need to be a little bit more, maybe a little bit more patient, I suppose. Our next question um, that this came from the last time we had questions coming in. Uh, CT twenty four asks, which member of the front court will be most impactful? Now I don't know if that means next year or this year, but this year I would have said Marvin Clark coming in, but. It seems to be Tariq Owens. Uh, Owens' defense and his flexibility are hard to match. He's long, he's agile, and if he can get a few of those jump shots falling, you know, he's uh, something kind of serious out there. I don't think he's going to be a big scorer, but I think he's the kind of player that does a lot of the little things, the kind of glue guy that puts everything together. You usually expect a glue guy to be a scrappy six foot three guard or maybe a wing, but maybe a glue guy can be a skinny, willowy, thin center. Shawnee Flo, young Florenz, asks, what is the scholarship situation looking like for next year? Are we done with recruits or do we have room for more? On the Rumble today, we talked about how Jerron Brooks 
um, a forward out of Washington State's Garfield High School. By the way, that school has two players already committed to Washington, and Brooks is thought to be a Washington lean, but yeah, we'll leave it neither here nor there. Brooks is a four-star forward, uh, six foot eight, about two fifteen, and he is coming to visit St. John's in um, in December, December sixteenth, I believe it is. That's pretty promising that he's interested enough to come um, see the holiday festival, see the uh, city lights. Maybe he'll like it. Maybe he will be that back to the basket post post player that really helps elevate St. John's game. Um, you know, it's an interesting. Um, it's interesting to think about because St. John's has already signed a forward and Josh Roberts. They've got C.D. Kata coming in from um, South Carolina, who's currently on the bench uh, for his transfer year. But uh, yeah, the scholarship situation, there's at least one scholarship left. Uh, we don't know if somebody will choose to leave. Um, there are certainly players with options who could make money abroad. So, you know, there might be a third scholarship or a second scholarship left. Um Let's see. Do we have any other questions? I think we have one more. Um, Joey Vags asks, I wonder why we never run plays for the front court to keep teams honest. Even a short jumper by Owens or Clark would create more space outside for the guards. I think tonight you saw Owens take a jump shot from almost the three-point line, which was a little far. And I think that other players are trying to figure out how to create offense. One of the good things about having a game against Malloy is that you know that it's going to be enough of a win, enough of a beating that um, your players can try a few things that they haven't tried before. And I think you saw some guys, uh, they did try that. And then, you know, they decided that it was time to, you know, put some points up on the board and, you know, start driving in. Um, other than that, I think those are all of the questions that we have. Let me double check and make sure. And yeah, we don't have any other questions. So uh, we appreciate your the listener questions. Please send them to us, rumbleinthegarden at gmail. Or you can shoot us a note on Twitter or even better on Facebook, uh, Rumble in the Garden on Facebook. And we will be looking out for your questions there. Again, this has been the Rumble in the Garden podcast. We are happy to have your readership, and we hope you keep reading, keep telling people about us, and keep following us on Facebook, and keep the conversation going. Rumble in the Garden, this has been Norman, signing off. Have a good evening.